Good morning, uh, good afternoon, whatever it is today. So today is the 2nd of November, I believe, and it's a Friday morning, Friday afternoon. I keep saying morning. It's a Friday afternoon, and... That's because uh, you're still in your pajamas. Well, I was in my pajamas. I'm now in... I have jeans on now. Oh, the, oh they yeah. look like my shoes jean aren't, pajamas. My shoes aren't tied, but I have jeans okay. on. Okay. <laughs> nice. And BYU socks. Oh, I oh, nice. Cool. Is there a game this weekend? There is. Saturday. Not here, though. Oh, who are we playing? Some team. Some team. Yeah, you know, some I team, hate them. Some team that plays football. Fine. We play Boise State on Saturday, actually. Oh, it's, be a it's so game. painful. We're lose that one. It, hey, listen, it's so hard to be a BYU fan this, these days. This, like, this for year, the last, it's been very tough. This year? You okay. mean this decade? Or two? There's been flashes of brilliance occasionally. Okay. But you're right. I mean, a decade for a decade, we have not been the BYU that you and I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if you remember the Lavelle Edwards era, that was a lot, a lot, a lot of winning seasons. Like we couldn't lose. Like every lose. season was a winning season. Yeah, that was fun. Last year, four and nine. Good times. Lovely. And then this year, right now, I think we are four and... Uh, Negative four and seven. four, maybe. Yeah, I can't remember what we are, but uh, you know we're probably gonna lose to Boise State, make us four and five. Gosh. And then the two wins we might have left would be we play UMass, we could beat them, and we play New Mexico State. We should beat them. Oh, so you're assuming we're going to lose to the University of Utah? How uh, dare you? I'm kind of assuming. Dang that. it. Listen, yeah, there was a too. point in this season that I thought we had a chance. <laughs> right after we beat Wisconsin, I thought, okay, this could be the year Our we year. beat Utah. But, and Utah wasn't playing very well at the beginning of the year. So I thought, this is it. We're going to get... And then a week later, it's like we were a little worse and we lost. And then Utah won. And since then, Utah's been playing great and we've been playing crappy. So there's no way we're beating Utah again this year for the eighth consecutive year. Yeah, that's it's, okay. It's life. It's how it goes. It, it actually kind of get build up a tolerance. Like yeah. it's just well, fine. We, listen, we had our share of beating Utah in the Lavelle Edwards years. Yeah. Although the series had always been close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's it's, true. That Utah was always is, the Utah's definitely pulling you never away know at this game. Point. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Um, hey. So this is our podcast. It is. It's our podcast. podcast. We're podcasting. Welcome to our podcast. Two doctors on a drive. Two doctors on a drive. So, uh, we're doctors, and we're driving. <laughs> it's um, super original. I know. Clever. I know. So, uh, my name is Dr. Terry Sellers. I am board certified in addiction medicine and work at a number of treatment centers in Utah. Uh, I'm the medical director, mostly, of uh, three or four treatment centers. And my podcast co-host... Is, Do- Dr. Kristen Brown... Yeah, Dr. Kristen Brown. I'm a doctor. Hi, Dr. Kristen Brown. Hi, hi, Dr. Sellers. I am a doctorate-level psychiatric nurse practitioner, graduating from the University of Utah. So technically, I can be a Ute fan. Yeah, yeah. So go Utes. That's true, but you graduated first from where? The BYU. Okay, go Cougars. Yeah, go Cougars. We're looking at the Y on the map. Yeah. So I'm currently working at... uh, an acute psychiatric hospital as the prescriber for the detox unit and I love it worked at a various treatment centers 
I think all with you, actually. I don't think I've worked at a treatment center without you. Perhaps. Kristen uh, just graduated with her doctorate in nursing practice, and before that was a a bachelor's level nursing nurse, sorry. And holy mackerel, she's so good at treating uh, people with substance abuse disorders. Yeah, you're just really awesome, and I haven't been able to work with her as a nurse practitioner yet, but she's probably twice as awesome as she once was. I'd like and to think I'm three awesome. times as awesome. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> but, well, but thank you. you. Awesome, go on, so. go on. So, uh, our well, co- let me give you some accolades. I, I, uh, we've worked together for a long time, and I sure have learned a lot from you over the years um, as far as how to work with drug addicts and um, how to medically treat. Um, substance abuse disorders and yes we're going to get a bunch of look at the bumper sticker in the window neil young university that's pretty remember cool. when i used to have neil young university on my car yeah that's you remember pretty that? cool pretty Somebody's got neil. i love cool. that i need to talk to that guy whoever it is I like so we car. should point out at, at, at this um spot that, out, that um dr sellers has what we refer to as the ADHD. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so we might have some random comments. Yeah, yeah sorry. No, you're. I'm fine. hard to follow sometimes, but <laughs> it in, makes it fun. In my own head, I'm following. You're whatever. fine. <laughs> uh, usually, when I start a sentence, I will finish that sentence at some point during the <laughs> conversation. Good. Just not anytime soon. Yeah. Um, yeah that's good. Okay. So, so anyway, uh, yeah. We aren't currently working together, but we do get to drive up to work together uh, in Salt Lake. We both live in Utah County and drive up to Salt Lake once or twice a week and record our ramblings. Yeah. Uh, we, we tend to be about addiction, but sometimes we talk about, oh, I don't know, my mammogram. <laughs> what? What's about your mammogram? Mammogram. Tell I, me about listen, it. Listen, I'm 47 years old. Okay. The 4-7. I've never had a mammogram. Really? And, yep. Well, that's not a very good uh, example you're setting there. I know. It's all, it's it's related to a couple of things, but primarily I didn't have insurance until okay. recently. So, yeah, you know, sense. I got a job. I got insurance. I'm like, oh, why not? It's free? What? Okay, so. That's not I mean, always not a good reason free. to do things. Somebody's paying for it, right? I decided to do it. Okay. You know, let's just get a whole well, workup. Way, way, to, way to take the leap. <laughs> I did. It, well, it was a little bit of a leap. So anyway, I uh, schedule my appointment and head on down and do the mammograms. Wasn't that big of a deal? I mean, I had a lot of people say, oh, it's so painful. Well, you know, maybe that's individual. I don't know. It wasn't painful for me. It was fine. Got my results. They send a letter in the mail. Like two weeks later, get this mail, open it up. Hands are shaking. Come on. Sweating. Come on. Nervous. Come on. Well, I do have a I do have a family history of breast cancer, so I mean it was possible. Well, I thought you meant you had a family history of handshaking. Yeah, <laughs> handshaking. Okay, I probably going. do. Keep going. So, open up this letter and it says, "Congratulations, Ms. Brown. Congratulations. You do not have the breast cancer." I would question the wording on that. I probably I probably should have just stopped reading at that point, but there's a whole letter. I question the wording on that. No, it's, this is Congratulations, you do not have the breast cancer? Yeah, Yeah, that's how they, that's that's medical jargon. I doubt it, but keep going. So, um, the next sentence says, you do, however, have 
dense breasts. And this you should follow up with your medical provider to see if it warrants any uh, further investigation. So, so I'm, I'm sharing this uh, letter with my daughter. She's 14. She's sitting there at the counter. And I'm reading this out loud. And she says, what? You have dense breasts? You have dents? Okay, so she's hearing D-E-N-T-S as I'm saying D-E-N-S-E. Hilarious. Dense breasts. It's freaking hilarious. Do you have any idea how many jokes I've made about dense breasts since that time? One more. One more up. Yeah, so there's my mammogram story. So I have, I've got the dense breasts. I don't really know what that means but i'm kind of okay with it well thanks for bringing this topic up because for sure i can't really comment about your (laughs) no not really so we're pulling over we're actually hungry we're gonna go grab something to eat real quick and we'll um finish this podcast at uh the lunch table hopefully if there's nobody else in the restaurant we'll finish it at the lunch table if there is we'll finish it when we get out and come back one of the one of the things that that I want to talk about as we're talking about addiction. Did you want to talk about, before you lead into the subject, did you want to talk about our sponsor, Aqua Recovery Center? Well, I think you do. I do. Okay. Okay, well, this podcast is being sponsored by Aqua Recovery Center, which is a 20-bed men's and women's residential treatment facility located in the lovely Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah, on a 13-acre, just gorgeous piece of ground. It's got a two-acre pond and a 50-foot waterfall. And the property itself is super, just really nice for a healing environment. It's actually a converted... At one point, it was a, a working flour mill. And then they converted it into a bed and breakfast. And now it's been changed from a bed and breakfast to a treatment facility. Anyway, it's a beautiful place. And... Wait, except... I would highly recommend it as a place to come and try to get treatment for drug and alcohol abuse. What were you going to say? I was going to say, can we tell the the little trivia about your office in the aqua recovery? So it's downstairs in the basement. Well, there is. You're going to hear it it right now? Maybe I don't know it. Um, Well, you mentioned the flour mill. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, what? How 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 old did you say it was? A thousand years? Ten thousand. Ten thousand yeah. year old flower well, mill. I didn't say how old it was, and it's not a hundred years old. But it's old. It's old. It's old. There's it's no been pressure. around for. And a while. it's an actual. So it's got an actual water wheel that ran the mill, on the and the water wheel still works, and it's on the property. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So every once in a while, we would go down to see at a black desk. You probably still do, I'm assuming. There's a table in there that's black. And every once in a while, you'd see this this sifting of flour powder, white powder, from the flour. I didn't know what it was at first. Inside the beams that are still coming out. So so if I leave for a weekend (laughs) and then come back, there's a little fine dusting of white powder on my table. And at first, I had no idea what it was, and then I realized it's actually happening underneath a beam, 
and there must just be flour all in there and every time somebody walks and shakes that beam a little bit i get a little dusting of flour on my desk i so always thought that was hilarious now is, now let's point hilarious. out that's that's not everywhere i've never noticed no. that in any other part of the building right. you're not going to get flour in your bed or anything like that i just i think that one part right under right underneath that beam yeah. right underneath that beam which happens to be the doctor's office yeah with a black desk i get flour you get some flour every once in a while it's kind of yeah. cool yeah, so you know I work in drug and alcohol treatment, so when I first saw it, I thought, holy mackerel, that white powder looks a little suspicious. Little, little bit. Then I realized it was flour, but, um, so let's take a break. If we can, we'll po- we'll podcast from inside the restaurant. If not, we'll be back in just a minute. We're back. Yeah. We're back. T- We're eating at the, uh... At Oteo restaurant. Oteo. We should give them a shout-out. Let's give Oteo a shout-out. Oteo is a Latin American-style restaurant. Is that not true? You couldn't say Mexican. Pretty is it sure Mexican? It's Mexican? I feel I think, like that's I think most true. it's probably from Mexico. Yeah, it's a Mexican restaurant. But it's uh, this is seriously my favorite In place down, to downtown Provo. Grab food. Small restaurant, uh, quaint, kind of lovely, and their food has always been excellent. It evolved from a restaurant that used to be an orm called Tortilla Bar. Same owner. Um, this is a little bigger than Tortilla Bar was, but still relatively small restaurant. And the food is always fresh and always delicious. So yep. if you get a chance, come to Oteo. You'll love it. Yep. So now that we've given Oteo a plug. <laughs> today, we, uh, in talking about what we wanted to do for an episode, I mean, we have, a, we have a ton of things we want to cover. We have a lot of topics that we want to discuss, which is why we started a podcast in the first place, because it's a lot of things in the addiction treatment industry and about addiction that um that we have a lot of opinions on and we differ with maybe some people and or that, each other sometimes or each other sometimes <laughs> that's but okay. that, that's the impetus for doing the uh, podcast in the first place so today we were just talking about uh treatment industry stuff we wanted to talk about the treatment industry as a whole and some of the issues that we might see with the industry particularly well, I mean, let's talk about yes. efficacy. Okay. You know, and you, you mentioned uh, we were having a conversation not too long ago about um, evidence-based. Evidence-based, it's the buzzword, right? Yep. Uh, we're evidence-based. Everybody, we're ev- everybody's evidence-based. Everybody based. wants to be evidence-based. My, my issue with that is what does that look like? What exactly is evidence-based as far as treatment for substance abuse disorder. I think we have a bunch of statistics and a bunch of studies. Of course, I've read a lot of studies. I know Dr. Sellers has read a lot of studies. I've read two. Two. Studies total in my but life. But they were good ones. Yeah, they were, they were the good really ones. good ones, yeah. <laughs> um, One, I think, was about injecting heroin. Like, if you give patients heroin, they use less they heroin They do okay, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a good That's one of the I've two I've read studies. that study. That's really great. <laughs> you know, and, and I think... If, if I'm confused about what evidence-based is, I'm guessing there's some other people out there who might be equally confused. Uh, or maybe even there's some people out there who don't even know that they should be confused about this. I think that may be true. I mean, I, people talk about, I mean, the, 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 the buzzword and the goal is to be evidence-based, right? Well, what, is, what does that even mean? Yeah. I don't even... Like, I know what it means. I know what it's supposed to mean. Yeah. It's well, supposed to mean you're using treatments that have been shown in studies to be effective in treating drug addicts. Exactly, right? I mean, that's the bottom line. Right. Do we have those studies? 
do we and have studies to show? I mean, enough to support and warrant the treatment standards that we have today. Like, well, let's just start uh, out with the 30-day 30, 30 residential, okay? Do we have enough studies to support that that is significantly better and cost-effective over, let's say, an IOP? And no. I'm not... And, hey, let me, let me get something straight. I'm not anti-residential treatment. That's how I got clean, you know? But I, I still would love to see the industry moving to a direction where we had the ability to recognize what's working and what's not. And I'm starting to see, after being in this for a while, I'm starting to see time and time again it not working. Yeah. You know? And these statistics that are out there that we read about... <laughs> Remember we came across that one uh, website that said we have an 80% success rate. Yes. 80% success rate. Are you kidding? Nobody has an 80% success rate in treating addiction. I've never seen that. I've never seen that. Our, our, our numbers are so terrible in treatment that it makes me think, okay, if this was a medication, if this was another modality... If this was... Um, cancer. Cancer. Great. Another disease. Or diabetes. Would we go with the, well, you know, we, we can save about 12% of you, which is a little bit more realistic as far as um, what I've seen. I think the numbers I've seen hover between 10 and 15% typically. And, it, uh, and I think if you, um, if you come across a center that claims 80% success rate, you probably run. want to turn and run because they're, <laughs> if they're willing to lie about that, yeah. then they're willing to lie about it. There's no way that anyone has an 80% success rate unless, and here's the problem with this evidence base. Like what, what do we call success even? Like yeah. what is success? If you treat a guy for 30 days and he stays clean for two days, is that success? Yeah. So you skew your numbers and your uh, what qualifies in your results as success or recovery which to I make think, it look like, you know. Which I think means one of the things we need in this industry is some industry standards. Yeah. Like For, for reporting outcomes. Yeah. And it needs to be across the board. Yes. Everybody does it exactly the same. And, and, and then I would love to see treatment centers publish their real success rates. And then we know what that means. Yeah. Like a success means, does success mean that somebody didn't use at all for the year following treatment? Does it mean they used way less? Did they lose use 10% less or 90% less? Or it would be nice to know what people mean when they say success rates. Yeah. And, I, and I think that one of the problems is, one of the reasons the numbers are notoriously low is because traditionally treatment centers have been measuring total abstinence. Well, yeah. maybe that's not the only marker for success, right? If you have a guy who was drinking every day and couldn't hold down a job because he was drinking every day and he goes to treatment and he comes out and he drinks three times the next year if you're only and he has a job and he has a job and your only metric is he he wasn't completely clean and so that's not a success well yeah. that seems seems like a success seems sort of successful yeah. right i mean it could be success but we don't have the industry standards yeah. for people to measure that so that's something for sure we'd love to see yeah, definitely. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see statistics uh, that that evaluate the effectiveness of repeated treatments. This is another thing that I keep seeing over and over again. You know, we've talked about this a bunch. This guy comes in and says, 
I've been to 18 treatment centers in the last two years. Wait, what? Really? Do the okay, math. Do the math on who's that. Paying for that. Do the math on that. That but, is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we have evidence to support that, 18 treatments means success for some people, and that's when they finally get it. Then great, right? It's worth somebody's life to pay for that. I don't have any problems with that. Maybe. But where's the numbers supporting? Well, I mean, we spend that much money on Let's do the, Hep C. I think we have to right? do the cost benefit analysis. No, we don't spend that much money on Hep C. That's not true. Okay, give do me the something ma- that we do, do the, spend that do much Do the money math on. on 18 treatment centers. Let's say the average treatment center runs 12,000 bucks a month. Okay. Which which is low. Which might be low. It's yeah. f- certainly not high. Yeah. Right? So 12,000 Oh, I should have picked something easier than 12,000. <laughs> I was going to say I hope you're doing the let's math see, because I see. don't do math. Let's, math is hard. Well, if we did 10,000, that's easy. Right? If we did 18 treatments and they're 10,000, yeah. we spent $180,000 on that guy's treatment. Yeah. Look, we just don't have the budget to do that. Like that's going to one of the things we're talking about in this country right now is how to keep down health care costs. Well, spending $180,000 For a treatment that we don't even effective. know is going to work. Right. That's, that's really right. more my point. Right. I think somebody's life is worth $180,000. Oh, for sure. And I think there are conditions that we spend that much money on with surgeries and uh, heart disease and all that. Uh, and cancer. Cancer. All the time. Know. All the but, time people get but cancer. But do we have that days. evidence? What do we have? All we know is that we are milling these people through treatment center, treatment center, treatment center. At what point do we say, so, clearly this is not working So there's you. a metric that would be lovely to see as well. What are real success rates of treatment centers? Mm-hmm. And then what are real success rates of a treatment center treating a guy for the second time and treating a guy for the third time? I would love and that. And treating a guy for the tenth time. Like, yes. What, we're going to spend $15,000 on this guy's treatment. Listen, we just I gave you a number of 180000 but that's if treatment costs ten grand, and very few treatments cost that little. So, But the point is, if his treatment's going to cost, let's say, fifteen grand, what are the success rates of a 19th treatment? Yeah. That can't be 15%. Yeah. That's got to be closer to on the order of 1%. But again, what are we measuring? Are we measuring, what are we measuring for success? So this is one of the dilemmas that the treatment industry has is no clear metrics to measure it. Yeah. I think we need a clear metric to measure it, and then I think we need to measure it. Yeah. And, and really do cost-benefit analysis. That's really got to come through a governing agency it because individuals, uh, sadly... Um, but I think that's true. I think we need some t- some kind of, um, oh, I don't want to well, use the word the- commission, but we need to have some kind of governing agency to say these are the industry standards and this is the, the outcomes that we want to see recorded. Well, as much as I hate it, I think for sure that the treatment industry could use a lot of government oversight. Yeah. Uh, we just don't have it. Yeah. And so it's kind of the Wild West. You, you said this term earlier to me, but it's kind of the, it's kind of like the Wild West. There's people out there just gunslinging and doing whatever they want and calling that evidence-based. And we've seen this happen in Florida, right? In California. Everybody's heard about how terrible Florida is and it's pill mills and uh, everybody's going to these terrible treatment centers. Well, I... I don't want that to happen in Utah. It's the good news is uh, I don't like the stuff I read about, and I'm reading a lot of stuff out of California. California, I think, is just about as bad as Florida. Okay. But a lot of the stuff that I'm reading about is not actually happening in Utah. Yeah. I don't see 
my, I mean, some of the stuff I'm reading about is unbelievable how they're uh, brokering uh, patients and how they're paying patients to relapse so that they can come back into treatment and oh, they can collect gosh. off their insurance policies. And it is unbelievable. It's so unbelievably unethical. But the problem is the nature of man is if you start wiggling $10 bills in front of their face, yeah. they'll do stupid stuff. Yeah. And there's more than $10 bills in treatment. There's a lot of money in treatment. And so people are willing to do a lot of unethical things. Well, and but that brings up another point is how long can how long can this last, right? Insurance companies eventually are going to say, what? I'm not no, paying for your 18th pay- treatment. I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm <clears> surprised they haven't to- done that yet. Oh, so am I. So am I. I'm always shocked when I've got that kid in there for the 26th. And I, yeah, sorry. I've seen, a, we've seen people suggest that they've been to that many treatment centers, dozens of treatment centers. Yeah. At what point does, what? It, does an insurance company say no? I have a guy in treatment now at one of the treatment centers that I work at. I finished the sentence with at. That's fine. At one of the places okay. where I work that claims this is his 19th treatment. Yeah. Well, unbelievable. Yeah. What do you think your chances of success are, son? Like, and who's paying for this? Well, and flip and that why? around to, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of insurance companies deny... Um, somebody going to residential treatment until they've tried IOP. And I always wonder, of course, they're trying to save money, right? An IOP program, which is, you know, a program that you go a couple times a week for a couple of hours um, or every day for a couple of hours, but it's not residential where you're living in there. Do they have numbers? Of course, that's going to save them money, right? But do they have numbers to show that that is, that gives somebody a better chance at, at um, recovery than a residential? I don't think so. No. Um, but it saves them money. I, I actually think those numbers are out there. And I don't know them off the top of my head, but I should gather them. But Let's I think find that, them. I think there are numbers that show that intensive outpatient is uh, inferior to residential treatment. Okay, welcome back. We took a brief break for lunch. Will you hold that for me? Which was delicious, did I mention? Lunch was awesome. Really good today. So, um, another shout out to Oteo real quick. Where is this place I'm going? Right, directly 180 degrees, the opposite direction. So, I'll turn around. Oh, you could, I guess. Or you could just keep, make, keep making right-hand turns. That's what I'm going to do, make a bunch of right-hand right, turns. Right, 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 right. And then I end up right back where I was if I make four right-hand turns. Because I don't know if you know this, but 90 degrees times four is 360. Yeah, but streets aren't always in a grid. They are in Utah. I don't Utah. know if you've ever lived in California. They are in Utah. But... Brigham set it up that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's go back to what we were talking about before, and I think we left off Oof. in... Let's not run over somebody. Oof. I think we left off talking about... Um, success, Numbers, we were talking about success rates yeah. and stuff, and, yeah. and comparing possibly IOP versus uh, other forms of treatment, including residential. And I actually think there might be some comparisons out there. Sure. It feels like I've even seen some of those numbers, but I don't know what they are off the top of my head. So uh, what we're going to do is 
do some research and come back next podcast with maybe some numbers that will be helpful to the listeners. Um, let's move on. Let's keep talking about... Well, did you have something you want to talk about? Because I, I have a direction I'd like well, to Well, yeah, I mean, I think... It's, it's not like I don't think there are studies out there that have said uh, statistic rates for IOPs, etc. But without that standard across the board, I think it's going to be difficult to differentiate from different programming what's working and what's not. Oh, for sure. That's kind of my point. Is, for sure. You know, but in the meantime, yeah, I agree. Let's let's spend the weekend. Um, I'll, well, I'll look up. I'll look up some stuff. I love doing that. I love. I love having a question and then, um, you know, going and looking up the answer. So, uh, I got nothing better to we do about, this weekend. We about died just now. Really? Yep. Okay. Well, well, I didn't know about it, so I'm, I'm glad good. You didn't grab it. I didn't the see it. Didn't know it. Duck. Nope. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's going to be. I think there are studies out there comparing uh, residential to IOP, um, but it might not be comparing the same program. Yeah. You know, it might be one person's re- idea of residential versus another person's idea of IOP. Or one person's idea of success versus yep. another person's yeah, no success. So. No question. Do I turn left here? Yep. Turn okay. left on the Freedom Boulevard. Okay. So, uh, but I, I also wanted to, and you started to allude to this, but I wanted to break down some of the components of treatment. I'd love to know what, some, like, who decided that leading a horse around an arena is going to benefit somebody who's suffering from substance abuse? Like, That's a what, great question. What is that? Like, That's a great Does it help? Well, probably, now, right? I've, I've, I've mean, actually I been involved in uh, equine therapy that I was quite impressed with. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I was, uh, I went into it quite skeptical. Like, okay, this is just, a, this is a filler. This is a, something that we do in residential to fill some time and yep. to keep the, the clients entertained. And No, it wasn't filler at all. In fact, it was very interesting to see what you can learn about yourself uh, during a equine therapy session. Oh, huh? I'm not going. Okay, thanks. There's people jutting by. No, I see the people. Yeah, yeah, this is certainly isn't a hit on equine therapy because I actually think... I feel like you. I think it's pretty cool. I, yeah. We had that at my rehab. and My guess is it might be helpful, but we don't even have any idea to what degree that would be helpful. Yeah. And then what, what is evidence-based? Like, we do all different kinds of therapy. There's individual therapy versus group therapy, for example. Most treatment, drug and alcohol treatment in the United States is done in the group therapy setting. Yeah, right? but now all of a sudden there's this big push... To have a bunch of individual therapy well, sessions, there, right? Well, for sure is a buzzword. There's, there, there for sure is a push. I agree. There is. I mean, a, the patients are asking for it. Right. But I'm not sure. Well, I know one of the things that at some of the places I work, they want to put on a website how many times they do individual therapies sessions per week. Yeah. Well, why? Yeah. Do we know that that why, why? is more helpful? Well. Well, actually, I've read plenty of studies suggesting that group therapy is uh, more beneficial than individual therapy for substance abuse disorders. I agree with you. That's my impression as well, is 
people do uh, most drug and alcohol treatment in the group therapy setting because it's more successful for drug and alcohol treatment. But wait, we're trying to treat comorbid uh, conditions. Well, we're trying to treat trauma. We're trying to treat... And then all of a sudden, substance abuse treatment is a hodgepodge of everything right. that we're trying to shove into 30, 60, 90 days. You know, I think it, I think it takes away from... Uh, you know, of course I think you should treat... Uh, other issues as you're going through substance abuse. There's no question. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But well, I think a lot that of times other issues are untreatable before you actually tackle the substance abuse, right? Right. Or in that short period of time. Right. How you're going to treat somebody's right. trauma in 30 days? No. You're going to open up a wound and then hopefully have them set up to follow up very well in an outpatient setting somehow. Yeah. That to me is that to me is a is a lifelong process. Because not I just, agree with you. And in, and same with depression, anxiety. Uh, uh, you know. Well. PTSD. Depression and anxiety bipolar. can't even be treated in thirty or sixty days, right? Yeah. But it's a lifelong treatment. Yeah. For some people. But anyway, you know I. The, and then you alluded to something else earlier. Like. I'm alluding where, a lot today. Where did we come up? Yeah. Um. Where did we come up with 30 days? Why, why is that a number? Oh, is it because the sun... Is it because the moon rotates around the earth in 30 days? That's why. I heard... I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard at some point that um, the the original uh, numbers was 28. Why is there a bomb in the middle of the road? Uh, oh, my gosh. What is that? I don't know. That's... I don't really want really to Really bizarre. Right no, go right. Choose right. Always choose right. Choose the right. Stay away from when the, the unknown package you. in the in the. There's road. a backpack sitting out in the middle of the road. When That's weird. Dry, well, we're in a parking lot, not in the middle of the road, but in the middle of a parking lot, there's a backpack sitting out there with nobody around it. It looks kind of suspicious. It really is weird looking, isn't it? It's not. It's not a piece of garbage that somebody left there no, accidentally. But I wonder if somebody had it on the top of their car. Yeah, that could be. And it fell off. That we should probably be. call the cops. Anyway. We should probably call the cops. I want to call the cops. It's a suspicious looking thing. I'm a cop thing. caller. Yeah. Um, we'll do that after our podcast. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Priorities. For sure. Where's the? Where's your car? Uh, turn right again. Okay. Um, so... So let's do a little research on 30, 60, 90, but what were you saying? Oh, Why, yeah, yeah, so what I heard was that, um, you know, Sandra Bullock came up with this movie, no, just kidding, um, was that the in the beginning of treatment, insurance would only pay for 28 days. I don't are know you, if this is true uh, or not. Are you at any point going to show me yeah, where right your car here. is? Right in front of the backpack. Oh, my god. <laughs> okay, what? stay back from that. Don't Where's get too car? close to that. I'm right here. Okay, good. I'll pull in right here. Right. How about that? Okay. Man. Um, but anyway, that that's what I've heard where it came from. But but it's a great point. What are we doing? Six, 30, 60, 90. Do we... Theoretically, it makes sense. The longer you're in treatment, the more help you're going to get. Okay, if so nothing that, else, that the, more, the more time you have away from substances, which means your prefrontal cortex comes back online... Your limbic system isn't running the show as much. Every day you have clean is better. I mean, I get all of that stuff. But again, cost-benefit ratio. How much more do we get out of our dollars spent between 
30, 60, 90 but days? Those are good questions for sure. I'd like to know it. Those are good questions for sure. Uh, in treatment, we have all these different kinds of therapy, too. So we, we briefly touched on equine therapy, but there's CBT, and there's DBT, and there's... ACT. Yes, there's all kinds of different kinds of treatment. Which one can we call evidence-based for treating substance abuse? And there's some there's some literature there's some studies that show that uh, that certain things do uh, have have uh, benefits to substance abuse disorder. I agree with you. They're out there, yep, but agree. you know, again, I so the way I see it is the treatment industry is run not based on what's proven and effective, but what's innovative and different. We want to do something different than everybody else. We want to write on our website that we do should i say it sure polyvagal theory oh don't say that oh just kidding we do xyz polyvagal therapy, therapy. <laughs> you know or, or something that nobody else is doing um be to be different you know yes. and i get that that's a marketing tool and it makes sense as far as a business goes but um it, that's kind of the point of the equine therapy is that it's a great therapy. It's a great modality. Has it been proven to show um, benefit in substance abuse disorder? I don't know that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we got a bunch of questions. We don't have all the answers for sure. Yeah. But we're going to come back next podcast with some answers, I think. And we're not going to come back with all the answers because there's too many questions there. But we'll come back with a few answers for you next podcast and then kind of move on from there. But... For today, I think we're going to probably close it up, don't you? Yeah. At the at the end of all of this, what comes to mind is, and the reason why I care about these issues, is that I want to be able to treat drug addicts. Yeah. I, we have an issue. I want that treatment to be available to people. And what I don't want to see happen is the industry just to go crazy and abuse the system, unknowingly or knowingly. And have insurance shut it down because it's too expensive. Right. It's not working. It's too expensive. We've been doing this for 10 years. It's not working. We're only getting worse. You know, yeah. and, and all that money and the grant money and the insurance money and all of that goes away because we've kind of wasted our time doing stuff that hasn't been proven to be effective. Right. You know, right. I think you're like me where you're – I'm tired of seeing people – relapse over and over and over again for sure what what can we do differently for those people what can we do differently for the kid who's been to his 19th treatment center yes is it time for a treatment center to say you know what we're not going to take your money this clearly isn't working you know i i think as i kind of ponder over the treatment centers the various treatment centers i've worked at is what I think happens is there are a couple of things, modalities, which have been shown to be beneficial in treating uh, people with substance abuse disorder. The problem is you have to fill seven full days in a week with something for the clients slash patients to do. Mm -hmm. And so really treatment is a couple of things that we know works and a ton of filler uh -huh. that everyone thinks might be helpful but very little data on. Yeah. 
And I think there's very little data on equine therapy. I think there's very little data on, but there might be some data on equine therapy. Yeah, yeah. I think there's very little data on which kind of modality works best. What else do we do? We take our clients usually to an outside um, 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, is that helpful in the residential treatment facility setting? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that. And I think, man, we need somebody with authority that could just stand up and say, okay, we're the authority now and we're going to study all this stuff and we're going to put out real stats. Mm-hmm. I think that would be super helpful. That would have to be a government entity, mm-hmm. I would think. So really the truth is the future of addiction treatment, I think, is probably going to come down to some oversight by the federal government anyway yeah. because of how wild west like this um the treatment industry really is right now yeah and it's and it's personal it's personal to me i want people to get help like i got help and if this same thing was happening in cancer i think we would be recognizing it as wait a second why do we have 2,900 different ways to treat this cancer that's really not working very well. You know, we've got these terrible statistics. Let's fix this. Yeah, I agree. I think it's time. I think it's time for our industry to come together on a bunch of things. And and one of the future podcasts I want to talk about ethics and my concerns with the with the treatment industry and what I've been seeing and gets so frustrating. That's where the Wild West comes in for sure. Well, all right. Well, thanks for listening today. We will see you next week, same time. Same well, that's channel. You can listen to it anytime you want to, but same time next week, and uh, apparently same channel, same bat channel. Wow. I know. I'm old. From the seventies. Yeah, from the seventies. I'm old. You were okay. too. I get I it. I was. Zero. Born. Yeah. I was born. All right. All right. Have a beautiful day. Love you guys. Thanks, thanks. for listening. All right. Bye.